So, you've just finished A Court of Thorn and Roses, and you're craving another fantasy world to devour. Dipsy's got your back. Dive into spicy enemies-to-lovers tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. I gotta tell you that the immersive soundscapes are really what makes a good sexy story different from a not good sexy story because it just like adds like it's hard sometimes in like reading a novel to like get the actual feel of what's going on but when it's like oh we're like at the coffee shop and this is like actually happening it's like very different (laughs) and there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves greek gods and goddesses regency era historical fiction for you sam and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure new content is released every week so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again you can always find something new to explore dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction for listeners of the show dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash just break up that's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash just break up dipsystories.com slash just break up When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like reconnecting with long-lost friends, being collateral damage, mm. and COVID connection catastrophes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, got a lot of alliteration up in here. That's right. I thought I would throw some in. Uh, But before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that we are not licensed therapists and have absolutely no right to tell you all what to do. Yes, we have no qualifications. We are not professionals. So please take our advice as you see fit. We are just here to offer our humble musings to hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love. Sam, guess what? It is episode... 101 which so now i can make like a thousand 101 dalmatian references but actually it'd be more like 101 failed relationships or 101 times that i should have texted you back and i didn't (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know and those things are worse than dalmatians because you can't even make a code out of them you cruel (laughs) heartless (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, that's the whole premise of 101 dalmatians is that cruella deville wants to make a coat out of the dalmatians and i love that's what you, that's that's i love that that's your take of that movie you know like that's lots what, of lots of plot. children will be like 
it's a heartwarming tale about a family who survives odds and <laughs> yes, you have to go and rescue their puppies like, from Sam Cruella like, Deville. A fashion icon <laughs> is stripped of her right to make a. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm just saying she was very misunderstood. She just wanted to murder a bunch of puppies to turn them into a coat, and I don't know what's wrong with that. <laughs> Oh my god! Please don't. Okay, please don't DM us, folks. Like, I'm a vegetarian. I'm yeah, <laughs> we believe in. I don't want any puppies to die for anyone's coats. <laughs> I just needed you to say that because I knew you were joking. Um, okay, let's get into our check-in topic. Have you, sorry, related yes, I'm to that. Ready. Have you seen the? clip from the view where joy behar calls trump a domestic terrorist no why i don't even know she it was because he like <laughs> said antifa was domestic terrorism or whatever and she was like trump's a domestic terrorist and then they like went to commercial and then they came back and Whoopi was like so joy um i think we need to like address something that happened before the break um you don't actually think President Trump is a domestic terrorist, right? And she was like, yeah, whatever. I apologize. He's not a domestic terrorist. Oh, my God. I bet all of the producers were like, you need to fix this. <laughs> I see. So you're, you're equating the domestic ter- uh, terrorist comment to the puppy murder comment. Yes. And yeah, I yeah. am I, whoopee saying, whoopee and so, I'm joy. Sam, <laughs> do you... Do you want to restate this? Uh, for the sake of our sponsors, do you want to yeah, right. question your... Um, anyway, and this episode is brought to you by PETA. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? Okay, let's get into our check-in topic. I'm so glad you, I, that... I, I, I get it now why you, why you said that. Okay, so our topic, our check-in topic actually is inspired by a letter who... Uh, was which was written by Miles Mint, who is writing from Maine. Um, Ooh, alliteration and, again. I know, it's everywhere. Basically, Miles is talking about how he is in a relationship with his girlfriend and things are going super well and they've been long distance for a while, but um, COVID has made things like really heightened. Um, and the quarantine has made it really difficult for them to say goodbye to each other. Oh. So he writes, we were able to see each other out after three months apart in quarantine. However, when it came time for me to leave, we encountered an obstacle. We have both developed some brand new separation anxiety mm. because of quarantine. Uh, he says that they've both sort of always been on the clingy side, but the separation anxiety is not great. Uh, and so I thought it would be good for us to talk about because I feel like that's probably true. For a lot of people who are going through totally <laughs> whatever is happening in the world right now, like it's just there's just too many things. Um, Do you remember and- like uh, Sierra and Sam a year, two years ago? We were like, we're gonna like mend relationships and help brokenhearted people. <laughs> Fast forward two years from now, we're like, well, in a global pandemic, the best way <laughs> <Yeah>. to. <laughs> We're so unqualified uh, to do this. No, it's so funny. And like, but like people in my life also come to me and are like, so like, I don't know, like, what should, what should we all do about this quarantine? And I'm like, I don't know. This is my first one too. Like, oh I'm my just God, making that- it up as I go along. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, so, so fast onset separation anxiety brought to you by a global pandemic. Okay. I can deal with that. <laughs> yeah, but also just like separation anxiety in general, too. 
Yeah, totally. Um, so I relate to this, obviously, because I am anxiously attached to my partners. Um, and I and basically what I mean by that attachment style, we actually Spencer and I did the Patreon episode for last week and we kind of broke down uh, attachment styles a little bit more based on the blind date from last week, which was the book Attached. So if you want to check that out, you can hear a little bit more in-depth conversation about um, attachment styles on our Patreon, patreon.com slash just break up pod. But um, what the core of my anxious attachment style is that when my I am afraid that if my partner is not in my sight or is not 100% affirming me at all times, um, that I am unlovable. I'm a, I don't trust my partner to like move out into the world um, and, and maintain their love for me. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. like a control issue, although sometimes I'm sure it manifests like that. It's more like it, it boils down to like a deep-seated self-esteem thing where, or like a lovability thing where you think that um, your partner couldn't possibly love you the way that they say that they love you. So to our mm-hmm. listener, I would say you're both experiencing a, a sort of like a level of um, cognitive intentional disbelief where you are letting your anxiety say, like state what is true or not true. You are ch- choosing to, to, to believe that your partner is incapable of loving you the way that they tell you that they love you. Um, mm. And that roots, that, that creates a lot of fear and, and anxiety. And I, I'm so grateful to be no longer in a long distance relationship with my partner during this time. And like shout out to folks who are single, shout out to folks who are in long distance relationships. Like th- it, this is a hard time and, and, and I'm grateful to, to not be in your shoes right now. Like that's just the, the, most real thing I can say because particularly because I am afraid that if I couldn't see my partner regularly, even in a long distance relationship, it would be even harder for me to believe that she loves me the way that she tells me she does. Um, and yeah, that's just really hard. I, I feel for you guys. I feel, feel for everybody's experiencing that. However, at one point or another, we have to speak truth to our anxieties. We have to speak speak truth to our fears and we have to hold ourselves accountable to the love and behavior and relationship that we want from ourselves and others. Um, Mm. Which is to say um, you have to put active energy into deciding that you want to believe someone, I guess. Right. Mm. And what does that look like? Um, Telling yourself that those thoughts are irrational or, or how, how do you, I guess like, as somebody who isn't anxiously attached, do you connect to any of this? And how would you see yourself playing out if you and Peter were LDR during COVID? Mm-hmm. Um, I, <laughs> I don't relate to this. Yeah. <laughs> like, so you just, isn't that funny that you just like, and Spencer too, in the Patreon episode, Spencer was securely attached, that beautiful bastard. And, um, <laughs> Yes, to be clear, you always say that I'm dismissive attached, but I am also securely attached. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> not to uh, avoidant or whatever. There's dis- it's dismissive avoidant. Like, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I got it. They're the same thing. Yeah. Um. So, so you feel? It, I think it's just so amazing because, like, 
I consider myself like a pretty um, in touch human and and my brain just does not work the way that I want it to when it comes to trusting my partner's love for me. Like it just Mm -hmm. whatever in my brain chemistry or my early understanding of love made it feel like it was something that I could always lose like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, It's interesting. But I also think it's like, there's also part of it too. That's not necessarily about attachment style, but just the, like we're going through a lot right now and Mm -hmm. everything feels really uncertain and everything feels like it's outside of our control. Yeah. Um, And so I think some like having a person like come to you and get to spend time with that person who you love is probably really reassuring. And it's like, Oh, there's a little bit of like, a little bit of calmness in this crazy storm it's that's comfortable, happening. Yeah. Right. It's and to say, I don't want, I know that the reality is, is that I have to let you go back to where you need to be, but it, I can totally imagine that it would be super difficult to do that. Um, and even, you know, Peter is, Peter's family is going through, uh, sort of a crisis right now. Um, and we, went to visit his family last weekend and he decided to stay and I decided to go home. And like, that was really anxious for me because Mm. I was like, am I doing the right thing? Mm -hmm. Uh, Are you going to be okay without me? Like who's going to take care of you? Mm -hmm. Um, But I had to remind myself, like Peter is an adult. Like I am making the best decision that I can make right now by saying like, I got to go home because I got to get back to my work computer and like get back to work. Mm -hmm. And like, um, and so, but what's great is that we do live in a, an age where like I can FaceTime him and text him and be like, Hey, how are things going? Like, you're going to go uh, visit your mom in the hospital. Like text me, tell me how she's doing. Like, mm-hmm. and so just a reminder of the fact that like life goes on even mm-hmm. after you're no longer in touch with each other. Um, and that like, sometimes we, we over, we give things too much weight. Right. I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to leave. And it's going to feel like we I've abandoned him. And then I got home and was like, Oh no, it just, it feels like he's in, (laughs) he's in Wisconsin and I'm here and we're just going to talk as frequently as we need to talk. Like it, it was so easy to just fall back into like, Nope, everything like we're safe. We're fine. Like, um, and so I think recognizing in those moments that it's hard, um, but that, it's not going to as hard as you think it's going to be. It's really helpful. And also like, it's okay to have separation anxiety right totally. now. Like, like I don't beat yourself up for the fact that you're trying to just find something to give you some stability during this crazy storm that we're in. Yeah, um, totally. I think that's totally real. Yeah. And I'm trying to think about like any, any concrete advice um, or like steps to follow, right? Like we always want like, Step one, do this. Step two, anxiety is gone, you know? <laughs> um, and I, I can't, I'm, I'm coming up blank. And I think that's maybe because um, in this moment, this anxiety is doing very little other than to tell us we are in unprecedented times, not to sound like every corporate email ever, but um Right now, it's it like you said, I, I kind of like the idea that it's okay to feel some separation anxiety um, because of the uncertainty. But I guess, okay, here, the one piece of advice I would say is uh, when you're feeling an anxiety like this, a great resource to turn to is honestly affirmations. 
and um, we give words of affirmation towards the end of all of our, or at the end of all of our shows. But there is a great podcast called Aff- Affirmation Pod that I've suggested a thousand times. Um, and there's tons of affirmations out there on the internet too that you can read to yourself to remind yourself what is real, what's worth standing on, what's worth believing and repeating in your head. Uh, We do those sorts of things. We we say things out loud to ourselves to sort of maybe reroute or re-navigate some of our brain patterns. You know, when we're anxious, our brain will constantly say, I'm feeling, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid things are going to go wrong, right? But probably... What what affirmations do for me, at least, is when my brain says, uh, I think we're I think everything's going to go wrong. You know, she's going to stop loving you. Your relationship's going to fail. You are alone. You are unlovable. An affirmation sort of like reroutes that thought onto a more healthy path to remind like, oh, no, no, that's just my anxiety speaking like I'm safe. I I'm lovable. Um, and and most importantly, it puts your energy towards something more positive and stable instead of sort of fixating on those those anxious thoughts um Mm. maybe we can sort of unless you had anything else wildly profound um to add uh maybe we could end on like long distance date date advice um for people who are maybe unintentionally in an ldr now or who are in ldr and that are experiencing some sort of anxiety or separation anxiety now that they don't know what the future holds and things like that um we know that we are in the time of FaceTime dates, you know, um, but do you have any other thoughts like that? Um, I think what is causing me the most anxiety in this time of um, quarantine is just, a, I think of, that this is thrown in my face, how much is actually outside of my control. Um, and I think, you know, that, happens in relationships too, right? right? When, oh my we, God. when we, when you're right next to the person, it feels like, okay, well, if I'm right next to them, then that means that I can cook them. I can bake them cookies if they get mad at me. And then I can force them to love me because I will just make everything perfect because they're right here you're- and I am to- totally in control. Um, and the reality is, is that like that control was still, that was control was a delusion. You mm-hmm. actually have never had control over whether or not that person loves you. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you have absolutely no control over, over how people think about you or feel about you. Right. Um, and so reminding yourself that like nothing has really changed in this time, right. The, the circumstances may have, but your level of control has not changed. Um, and that it's, and so, and the extension of that is, and so if this person stops loving you, it's not because you're a bad person. It's not because you did the wrong things. That was never in your control to begin with. The only thing that you can do is continue to show up in the best way that you possibly can and recognize that sometimes circumstances might prevent that best from being enough to maintain that relationship. Right. And that's okay because all we can do at any given moment is our best and we cannot control. We can't control COVID. We can't control how people feel about us. We can't control the fact that we're not allowed to see our loved ones right now. All we can control is how often and how willing we are able to show up. Um, and that's, that's all we can do. And if that's not enough, it's sad, but that's not enough. But, right. but literally that's the best you can do. Right. And if the relationship doesn't work or if, or if that awful thing that you think is going to happen happens, um, you have it within you to get through those that, right. You are right. not any, you are not 
less lovable because you are not loved by that person, right? right? You are not any less dateable because you are not dating that person anymore. It just means that the circumstances around you have made your best uh, not sustainable enough for this particular relationship, right? Not <laughs> relationships in general, but and that's like really hard. Mm-hmm. But it's it's also like that's what that is what helps me get through the day. Is like I don't have control over whether or not the person wears a mask. I mm. don't have control over whether or not Peter texts me back after I ask him about his how his mom is doing. Right? Like I don't have control over those things, and trying to throw myself up against the immovable wall that is those things doesn't do anything except for hurt me. So it is so incredibly humbling in like a very uncomfortable way to, to, <laughs> to, to, to sit with that idea in my body, like that I have no control over whether people love me or not, because I think it's like the caretaker in me, the anxious person in me, the, you know, the performer in me, um, the, the person who struggles with just wanting people to like her, you know, like that's like mm-hmm. the, weird cross that I bear. Um, and so I think that I spent many years of my younger life putting so much labor into that idea, um, that it's almost Mm -hmm. uncomfortable and humbling for me to like, I believe you wholeheartedly, but to sit with that (laughs) in my body, I'm like, Oh fuck. (laughs) Like, I can't believe that is so true. Um, and, yeah. and what a lie my subconscious has told me, what a lie my anxiety has told me that if I, if I dance well enough and see, speak well enough and cook enough pastries and, <laughs> and fuck well enough and speak well enough and, you know, all of this stuff, if I give of myself enough, someone will love me. Mm-hmm. Um, not re- thinking well, it's actually truly about how I love myself and how I cook mm-hmm. for myself and perform for myself. And um, yeah, so a little bit of vulnerability there that makes me wildly uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but as always, you are full of sage advice and wisdom. Um, so yeah, that is our general vague and yet very powerful advice about having... <laughs> I feel like anything that comes with COVID, like we have these grandiose conversations about life and control because that's what it ultimately comes, not comes down to. It doesn't like boil down to anything. It's like these big overarching um, ideas. (laughs) For sure. And like, I don't mean that to say that you don't have power, right? Like Mm. you do have power and influence, right? You do have the ability to influence others. You just can't force them to think or feel the way that you want them. I think that's a perfect delineation. Like you don't have control, but you do have power because you can abuse power. You can manipulate power. You can, or you can use power for good, right? You can be a good partner. You can be a a receptive listener. You know, all of Mm -hmm. those things have influence, but you have no control. Or, and any sense right. of control is a false sense of control based on skewed power. Right. Except for you have control over yourself and the mm. things that mm-hmm. you do and the way that you react and respond to people. So like I did, I was like, have, like saying that you have no control. And then I was imagining all of us being like, well, then I'm not going to go protest because yeah, like, yeah, I don't yeah, have yeah, any yeah. control. Like, no, 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 no. Yeah, That's yeah, not, yeah. no. You have control over how you react and respond. You don't and have, you have external influence. control. <laughs> right. But is you it? cannot, we cannot get Donald Trump to not be like himself, no matter how much energy we put into the world. (laughs) (laughs) Right. 
But what we can do is we can take to the streets and we can we can join in partnership with other people and we can use our collective power and influence to change the conversation and to make people feel uncomfortable. But we yeah. cannot control how people react to, to yes. what that is happening there. Right. I love that. I love that. We are all over the board already and we're not even in our first letter. So let's get started. <laughs> all right. The first letter is from Rose, who is writing to us from a liminal space. I love that. Mm -hmm. Hi, Sam and Sierra. I'm 26. And when I was in eighth grade, I became friends with this boy who we will call Scott. Scott and I were opposite in every way imaginable, yet we bonded over our similar musical taste and that blossomed into a friendship. Scott pushed me and stretched my beliefs as he was the son of a pastor and I grew up in a household that was firmly against organized religion. We spent time debating each other on things like theology and politics, all in eighth grade to this letters. (laughs) I love that. These arguments only strengthened our friendship and we started to turn to each other for everything. We spent hours on the phone crying and opening up about our deepest feelings and thoughts. At 13, it was invaluable to me to have someone I thought I could rely on and who could rely on me outside of my family. I feel I cannot adequately explain in words how special my connection was with him, but hopefully that helped paint a picture. It definitely did, Rose. After eighth grade, we ended up at different high schools. We kept in touch here and there throughout the four years until I saw Scott at a mutual friend's high school graduation party. We spent that entire day together, barely leaving each other's sides. And there I found out that he had actually written written his college essay about me and the influence our friendship had on his life. We exchanged numbers again and tried to talk when we could, but we were both embarking on starting college and he always had a penchant for switching phones slash phone numbers and losing his contacts. And that's where I stand now. It's been about five years since I last spoke to him. I think about our friendship often as it shaped who I am today in profound ways. And I haven't had a friendship since that has been as precious to me as this one. The question is, should I reach out to him? So much time has passed and I'm not sure if reaching out would feel completely out of the blue to him. Scott does not have social media and I don't even know if the phone number I have is his. If I were to reach out, it wouldn't be as straightforward as sending him a text or calling him. Instead, I've deduced that I could either reach out through a mutual friend that might know how to get in contact with him or I could send a letter to his parents' house as I know they still live there. My other concern is if he wants to be friends with me or if this renewed friendship would somehow be disappointing. I look back so fondly on the moments we shared together, and I worry that if I reach out, he either won't be receptive or we will have grown in ways that simply do not align. Both of those situations would be heartbreaking to me, and I'm not sure if that potential heartbreak would hurt more than the longing to have him back in my life. So what do I do? Do I reach out to him through these strange means and risk a lack of reciprocation and connection? Or should I finally let this friendship go out to sea and thank it for the ways it has served me throughout my life? Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Also, thank you so much for your podcast. I look forward to hearing it every week. Thank you so much, Rose. I love this letter. It's so charming. <laughs> it's I, very cute. You wrote in your notes like that we had never answered anything like this before. I don't even think we've gotten a question like this before. Other mm-hmm. than like a, an old shoot your shot sort of thing. Um, right. But uh, Shoot your friendship shot. Shoot your friendship. Okay. There's just a lot <laughs> of sh- shit. <laughs> a lot of alliteration yet again. A friendship shot. Um, shoot your. F- okay. I'm done. Um <laughs> So, uh, thanks for writing Rose. Um, 
I I think that you should reach out to him. Sam? Mm-hmm. I think so too. I don't I don't think it would be weird to have someone who was once a very close friend of mine in eighth grade like reach out yeah. out of the blue. I would be like, Oh hey, what's up? Yeah. Um I I say that pretty confidently, but what I do really want to tackle or unpack with Sam is the idea of um mitigating disappointment like if the friendship isn't what it should be and how to Mm -hmm. and how to how to handle or navigate that the future of your relationship while preserving the preciousness of your past relationship because i think that's something super relatable or um, at least common to my emotional experience that i am afraid that if like like a bad situation or interaction in the present will change my feeling about something that happened in the past. Or I guess Mm -hmm. better, better put, I have, it's a strange, like to look back on friend uh, memories with friends that I'm like no longer close to. I have like that weird, bittersweet feeling that like, isn't always fun to hold or carry or feel. Um, And I think that's probably what Rose is talking about is like, you know, you don't want to look back on those really good, precious memories with a new sort of tainted lens about about the value of them. Yeah. So mm-hmm. definitely reach out. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, I think I think or you should don't, do because maybe you don't want a tainted lens. But I think that's life. That let's unpack that. Um, well, right. for, let's first unpack um, reaching out to somebody, uh, being afraid. So. The other thing I'm interested in is a, is a friendship not living up to your expectations of a friendship. I always experience this with with new friends that I like. I always like put my my newest friend on a pedestal. I'm like, oh my god, I'm so excited about this. They're going to be my best friend, except for Sam, um, and <laughs> it's going to be so great. And then I realize they're just a human, just like I'm a human, and we have like incompatible schedules, and mm-hmm. um, and they carry conversations differently than I do. And, and all of a sudden I feel like this big weight because I had such an anticipatory excitement over them. And I think um, somewhat relatedly, Rose is like, wow, I have this person on a mental or a memory based pedestal of them really shaping my life and being really important. And this, and this friendship being so precious to me, what if all of that is disappointing. Like what if they aren't as cool mm-hmm. as I remember them? Or like, what if it isn't as easy and beneficial as it was when we were younger? For sure. How do you deal That's with gonna that? That's going to happen. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't mean to, I don't mean to be dismissive because I totally understand this and, and would have the same fear reluctance to reach out because I'd be like, this person was perfect. Eighth grade was the year I peaked. We got in these amazing <laughs> debates about the Iraq war and what it means to be a Christian. And like, I don't want to taint that, um, which is fine. Like if you want to preserve those memories, go for it. Right. Like don't, you don't necessarily need to reach out to this person if you want them to exist as this like very fond memory in your head. Um, but like, I'm just going to say it reaching out to this person, they are going to be disappointing in some way because we are all incapable of not, not disappointing each other. Right. Yeah. Like this person is going to not respond to texts a lot, or this person is going to um, have a really annoying way of laughing or something like there's, this person isn't perfect. And so even no matter what your relationship look like, looks like, no matter if you have the best debates ever, and it's like, so reminiscent of eighth grade, 
this person is still a person and they're going to have things that annoy you or that don't fulfill this like perfect person that you've built up in your head. And honestly, that's good. <laughs> like, mm. That's a good thing, right? Like, like love and relationships are about the imperfections that people bring into relationships. It's about loving your partner, despite the fact that, and because of the fact that they have these in, imperfections. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something that I think is even more authentic and beautiful and vulnerable about inviting someone into your life that you've built up and saying like, wow, you're not the person that I thought you were. And yet you are still an awesome person. Right. Yet you are still infinitely lovable and you are still someone that I can be open and honest and vulnerable with. Right. And like, or he could turn out to be a real dick. And then like, you'll just have those wonderful memories of eighth grade that you can fall back on and, and be like, this person's a dick now. That sucks. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I also think that there's a, there's a, there's something happening here that is being unacknowledged or something subconscious, which is, are you afraid that he is going to be disappointing or that you are going to be disappointing to him? Oh, like, (laughs) (laughs) like, um, I, I can see all the way as you were talking, I was like, yeah, like he's going to be imperfect. And then I was like, but that's easy to accept. It's easy to accept when somebody has these imperfections, you know, Mm. it's way harder to put yourself into a situation where you have to be vulnerable and open again with, or, or better yet, you have to rebuild or start from new because like your eighth grade social communicative skills are going to be different than your 20 something year olds. Um, so are, what are you afraid of that? Like that you are going to be unappealing or he's not going to be interested in you or, or whatever um, as a friend. So that's something else to sit with too. And connecting Sam's advice to this. Um, I wonder if there's a way that you can just be present and grateful um, for the opportunity to reconnect. I remember mm. when 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 I first went to visit Willow, um, and I and we weren't dating, and we didn't know what was going to go down. Um, I remember writing a little affirmation to myself and s- saying, "Like uh, it's okay, you know, just be calm, <laughs> um, uh, be cool." <laughs> just kidding. Mm-hmm. It was more, don't blow it. <laughs> yeah, it was. Well, it was more like it was more like Sierra. You don't have to pretend you can be yourself Mm. you have nothing to prove you know Mm -hmm. you don't have to put on an act you know she she reached out to you um and even if she didn't want to be with me or kiss me after this first time seeing each other i'm still whole i'm still lovable i have nothing to prove to her so i had to like set i had to like reset my brain to make sure that i was feeling like safe and confident to be myself and also i remember writing in the affirmation like even if nothing comes of this, it's a privilege to be able to reconnect and be in the same room together again. Like, mm. I, I remember saying that to myself, like, if if nothing comes of this, we are still lucky, right? And maybe there's a way to move forward in that, in this situation, Rose, with that sort of mentality where you kind of take the whole situation off of the pedestal, but still steep it in gratitude and presentness that, you're lucky to reconnect. You're lucky to have a connection like this. You're lucky to have a friendship that shaped you so much in eighth grade because I don't think I had that friendship. You know, I didn't, I didn't have that life altering um, 
uh, perspective through another person at that age. Um, And I think it's, I just think it's beautiful what you have. So there is a way to be present and grateful without putting so much anticipation and pressure on it. Yeah, for sure. I think that that um, piece around gratitude is, is just super important because like, like Brene Brown talks about um, BB. foreboding joy, right? Um, the, the antidote to foreboding joy, which is like sort of withholding yourself from experiencing joy because you want to be, because you are afraid, because you are thinking of all of the ways that it could go wrong, right? The, the antidote to foreboding joy is gratitude, So instead of saying like, oh, here's all the things that could go wrong, instead saying like, here's all the things that I have that I'm grateful for. And the only thing that I have is the capacity to get more of those things, right? So you have these wonderful memories of this this person from eighth grade and having this person really shape your life in a profound way, right? Um, Like practicing gratitude for that and saying, I really love this. Nothing can change this for me. The only thing that I have is the capacity to experience more of this or to experience this person in a new and different way. Instead of saying like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to get rid of these memories because, um, because there's only scarcity out there, Right. right? No, there's, you have the capacity to feel gratitude for what you have and know that like that gratitude and those things are always going to be with you. Even if he turns out to be a huge dick, those memories, those wonderful memories and the way that he shaped you will always be with you and you will always be able to be grateful for them. Um, and focusing on that instead of like, here's all the ways it could go wrong, um, is one of the ways that you can, you can overcome some of those fears of like, when you look at your cat and think, Oh my God, I love him so much. And he's going to die. He is Sam. I'm really sorry. One day. <laughs> I know. Which is like, right. That's like, <laughs> so for me, terrifying. that's the quintessential foreboding joy is like, when I look at my cat and I'm like, I love you so much and you're going to die. Right. Instead of saying like, Oh my God, I love you so much. And I'm so grateful that I get to have you for the time that I have. That you. is so funny. I'm so <laughs> glad you shared. I'm like, it's so also real. And as a, <laughs> pet owner of a deceased pet i absolutely know this pain that you're feeling um or or this for you know this complicated feeling that you're feeling um Mm -hmm. so and you you started to touch on it there but i just want to end on the idea of how whatever happens moving forward doesn't um have to change what Mm -hmm. it what it meant to us originally and i want to connect it to another idea that's like that's slightly unrelated but it's the same sort of essence um as when someone who was in maybe like an abusive relationship or even a relationship that fell apart and became an un- that crumbled somehow um when they write into us and say but we have so many good memories or i don't know how to love this mm. person who was so mean to me you know like that i that i have all this loving memories of them but they ended up being so cruel or whatever um and that dissonance of holding we always talk about this that that it is you you are capable of acknowledging multifaceted things and you are capable of feeling contradicting things um all, all we can hold so much inside us at once and and it can contradict itself it can be opposing it can be confusing um And I wanted to bring that comparison in because I think they're related that in this situation, Rose, no matter what happens moving forward, you can always 
honor and understand that this relationship impacted your life, period. It, it just did. Um, mm-hmm. No matter what happens moving forward, obviously things can be tainted or things can be you know, colored differently after experiences, but our past isn't touched by our future. Um, it is only changed by understanding, growth, clarity, things like that. It's only changed. That's absolutely right. It's only changed. Only thing that changes is how we look back on it. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that I, I hope that you reconnect. This is a this is a beautiful relationship that I would love to to hear more about in the future. Absolutely. All right, Rose, we love you. We hope this helps. Thank you so much for writing. Y'all, as a self-employed person, as a mom of a toddler, I am always struggling with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now I use Rocket Money and it does all of that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, you have full control over your subscriptions and a clear view of your expenses. You can see all your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, Rocket Money can help cancel it with a few taps. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month. So I can clearly see my spending habits and check myself if needed. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even help try to negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you, which I obviously love as a somewhat introverted, conflict-avoidant person. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Rocket Money has over 5 million subscribers and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash just break up. That's rocketmoney.com slash just break up. Rocketmoney.com slash just break up. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets, sweaters, and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. Quince has things like premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. This past month, I treated myself to a pair of new slippers because I'm in that hashtag mom life era of my life um, in which (laughs) um, I am never not in slippers. And these are 100% Australian shearling lined clog slippers. And I love that they're slip on, but they have those durable rubber outsoles. They're super cushy, super comfortable, but I feel like I can run outside to like take the trash out in them while also like staying warm and active 
in the house. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right. Our next letter comes from Drained About Divorce, who is writing from the Eldritch Abyss at the bottom of Chesapeake Bay. <laughs> I, I know where Chesapeake Bay is, but I don't know where the Eldritch Abitch, <laughs> Abyss is. A bitch. <laughs> the Eldritch Abyss. Uh, uh, that's funny. Uh, okay. All right. Dear Sam and Sierra, I write to you because I feel caught in the middle of a divorce. Mm. Fortunately, it is not my own. I am happily married to my husband for three and a half years now, nor is it my parents who have been happily married for more than 30 years now. No, this is a divorce between two friends of mine, and I am not sure what to do. These friends of mine, let's call them Jesse and James. Did you know that I have an obsession with Jesse James? I had no idea. Yeah. What do you, Name three things that you love. About Jesse James? Yeah. Um, I love the like understanding of the politics of Jesse James and like why he became like this amazing outlaw. It's like very similar to the way that we like really love the antebellum South because of gone with the winds. Like we love Jesse James because he was basically a Confederate Ku Klux Klan member. Mm, So you don't love Jesse James. No, I'm just like really interested in him. It's like my type five Enneagram coming out. I'm sorry. Anyway, continuing. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, Joy. Let me get a little explanation on that one. <laughs> when I say I love Jesse James, I should say that I am fascinated there by Jesse go. James. There we go. Because yes. I, I. And I'm like, have read multiple books about Jesse James. <laughs> I also have so little knowledge. So when I was like, name three things you love about this thing, I was like, I have no fucking clue what you're talking about. So I'm glad you clarified because maybe if I had a. Di- also, different uh insight i would be like oh really (laughs) (laughs) the only uh bank that has ever successfully fought off jesse james is in northfield minnesota and you can go visit it and they do every year they have a reenactment of it weird and cool hilarious have you you been there i haven't been i have not been to the reenactment but i went to the museum like the old bank Oh my God. Funny. And they like show footage of the reenactments. It's amazing. Northfield, Minnesota. Maybe that should be my (laughs) blind blind date. (laughs) All right. Continuing. All right. I have known James since middle school and we have maintained a good friendship since then due to many common interests and have suffered through sweating through our high school marching band uniforms together. Oh my God. Those uniforms (laughs) are so hot. Yeah. Cause they're made of like, I don't know. 100% 100% plastic. Acrylic. Honestly, it's like... <laughs> um, uh, I played uh, French horn in marching band or mm. um, trumpet when the French horn was too heavy because we couldn't afford marching French horns, which are like shaped differently. So anyway, continue. I played I, I played trumpet, so... Beautiful. Uh-huh. He is one of just a handful of folks from my middle school and high school days who I still maintain contact with and still consider a friend. James is genuinely a good, kind-natured individual, and I have valued his friendship immensely. I met Jesse through James after they started dating. Jesse is mellow and reserved, but we hit it off thanks to similar hobbies. Jesse also became my tattoo artist, and I have been proud to have her incredible artwork on my body. 
The inking sessions and the conversations we've had through them have led her to become somewhat of a confidant for me as well. I am genuinely so glad that I met her. Jesse and James married in a beautiful and presumably very expensive ceremony and reception at the end of last year. I was in the wedding party and I gave a very last minute speech. The wedding coordinator asked me if I could with about 10 minutes notice. And my heart was so full to be there in support of two people who I both loved. Two weeks later, I got a call from James saying that he and Jesse were separating and that he needed a place to stay. Two weeks later. Okay. All right. Okay. I was floored. I was happy to allow him to stay in my guest room as he figured out his living situation, but I was shocked at the idea that something had gone so horribly wrong in such a short period of time to warrant the split. James told me that they had some issues before walking down the aisle, but that he believed that they would be able to work through them by attending couples counseling together. However, Jesse apparently had the mindset that they were fundamentally incompatible and decided to pull the plug and filed for divorce. James asked me to keep the divorce to myself as neither he nor Jesse wanted word to get out to anyone. And they were trying to keep things on the down low. I was told that I, and by extension, my husband were really the only people besides their parents who knew what was happening. At first, I didn't mind this because I understand that it can lead to many feelings of shame and guilt to have held such an elaborate wedding only for it to fall apart a dozen or so days later. Unfortunately, things got a little weird from there. James would call me after his individual therapy appointments and unload on me about what was covered in therapy. I felt like a mop just desperately trying to clean up his emotions about what was happening. This happened about once a week and carried over into lengthy online conversations about how sad he was about the situation. James also had these online chats with other mutual friends of ours, but he didn't tell them what was happening and Mm. instead was just vaguely but severely depressed in in their general direction. When these mutuals started asking me what was up with James, I felt stuck because I didn't want to spill the beans, but I also wanted to give our other pals more of the necessary info to potentially offer better help. James also went from going, I don't want people to take sides to actively trying to portray Jesse as a villain. He called me saying he had found letters that seemed to indicate she was cheating and that he was going to get the tattoos she did on him covered up. When I said it seemed like he was just trying to make her look bad, he denied it, which, okay, then why even call me specifically about it then? I reached a point where seeing notifications from him gave me an instant headache. I eventually had to tell James that he couldn't call me after therapy anymore because I didn't have the mental capacity Mm. to handle it. To his credit, he stopped, but I felt like a shitty friend. On Jesse's end, she went completely silent about it. I had to her do a little more tattoo work after they split, and she recognized that she shouldn't have held the wedding given the issues that we had. But that was all that I got from her. A couple of months later, I ran into one of the other members of the wedding party, and lo and behold, they knew everything that had been going on. James had been subjecting them to the same treatment and also told them to not tell anyone else. So we had a significant commiserating session regarding how we were both being treated as emotional overflow buckets, of course. Other folks in the wedding party also started talking to each other as the situation continued on for months without either Jesse or James saying anything public about their split. And we learned that a lot of us were being told, I'm only telling you, don't tell anyone else. But we also learned from other wedding party members closer to Jesse that Jesse knew before the wedding even happened that she was going to file for divorce. Learning that I have been furious. I am mad that Jesse wasted everyone's time. I'm mad that she wasted everyone's money. I'm mad that 
that they held a wedding knowing full damn well that she was going to bounce soon after. I am mad that she broke James's heart in the fashion that she did on a very petty note. I'm mad that I wasted a vacation day after and wasted my own money on a wedding gift. And on top of that, look like a boo boo, the fool in retrospect, having given the kinds of things that I said in my speech. I am not quite sure how to proceed from here. It feels like Jesse played everyone so that she could have her day in the spotlight as a fairy tale bride. And on the other hand, I feel like I was used as an emotional dumping ground for James in a fashion that left me completely mentally drained for months. I have had very little to do with them since. Aside from a couple of very casual conversations with James, I haven't talked to him. And though Jesse still still likes my Instagram posts, I don't really talk to her anymore either. Hmm. I feel very conflicted. James has been a friend of mine for a long time, and I feel like cutting contact after he put so much emotional labor on my shoulders during his divorce would only serve to hurt, hurt him worse. But at the same time, I have felt so much lighter by avoiding him. Jesse is someone who is more easily avoidable for me, but I still have multiple tattoos by her on my body. I have no intention of covering them up. They look great. Not going to lie, but it's a permanent connection to someone who I no longer want anything to do with. Am I right for cutting both of them out or am I being a shitty friend? All right, drained. This is quite a letter. Mm hmm. There is just a lot happening. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much for writing. Um I think uh I'll I'll I'll, I'll go ahead and start. Um I want to commend you for telling James that you could no longer be his step 2 after therapy sessions, you know, like mm-hmm. um the person who receives a person after a therapy session, depending on that person and their sharing um, slash processing styles. uh, That's a lot. And um, I think that you, you are not a shitty friend for saying, I can't do that. Um, I think that there are ways to support folks through therapy that look different and more sustainable for both partners or both not partners, Mm. but players in that relationship. Um, I like to, I guess to hold, um, this is a perfect example of why boundaries are important because if maybe there, if, if James had had a, like a healthier boundary, um, with you, um, and, and you were able to navigate that as well, maybe you could be that support system to him on a less frequent an intense basis, you know, that boundaries Mm -hmm. are in place, not just to save us when we're drowning, but to keep us afloat. And, um, this is just a perfect example of why we try to implement them early. It's for sustainability, you know, Mm -hmm. but I don't think you did anything wrong by saying you couldn't do it anymore. Um, that me showcasing how it could go, uh, differently um is not to highlight that you did something wrong i think that you did the absolute right thing you did the thing for the sustainability of yourself of your friendship um and 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 there's a reason why we go to therapists there's a reason why we speak to mental health counselors because they're trained professionals um who, who are paid to do that emotional labor yes and i think this is a perfect example of what we talked about last week when we talked about like we are not disappointing people by establishing boundaries, right? It just means that people are disappointed with our boundaries, like not with us. Um, and the, like, I totally understand this feeling of like, Oh, I feel like such a shitty friend for putting up this boundary. But like Sierra said, there's nothing wrong with saying like, I don't have the capacity to be able to help you in the way that you need support right now. 
and that it's actually going to be more sustainable for me and for this relationship if we don't do this hour-long session immediately afterwards, but instead figure out how we can talk about this in a way that affirms both of us. And that feels like withholding, or it feels like denying somebody something that they're entitled to. But that's just what we've been taught is what friendship actually is. And it's not mm. actually how sustainable friendships continue. It's not how we, um, how we have friendships that don't build resentment or don't build, um, like a fallout is by actually saying like, I'm sorry, I can't show up for you right now in the way that you want me to. Here's how I can show up for you, but it can't be this anymore. So I think you did actually, so like, which is all to say you did a great yes. job. Like yeah. <laughs> you did the a right plus. thing. Yes. You do. You're like putting the work out there. Yeah. Um, I also think, so there's just so much, what do you want to unpack in this? Cause there's, there's a lot. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to kind of unpack the point of view of the wedding. Mm. Um, and I want to unpack the moving forward, like how to keep them in or out of their life. Um, and maybe unpack when our friends are disappointing. I, I don't know what, what, what would you say would be the third point or anything else that I miss that I'm missing? No, I think that's, that's all good stuff to talk about. Okay. So to the, to the point of the wedding, don't get me wrong. Like the idea of someone getting married, knowing that they were planning on getting a divorce is a little bonkers for me. Right. <laughs> um, it is a little bit self-absorbed and a little bit yeah. selfish. Yes. I, I need to acknowledge like the general juicy drama of that, mm -hmm. you know, but I also, if if I'm being honest and if I'm bringing my vulnerable self to this space, I also have to acknowledge we don't know. We truly just don't know what was true or real. Mm -hmm. um, number one. And number two, shame is one hell of a cruel and powerful force. Mm. Um, maybe like we are reading this as a self-absorbed, selfish thing, but maybe people were panicking. Maybe they felt ashamed that they were failing at this relationship after saying that they were going to get married. I mean, we, you and I constantly answer letters about the deep feeling of shame that we feel when we get a divorce or when our relationship doesn't work or when our partner cheats on us because we look like such a fool, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that there's not some, I'm not defending this behavior, but I'm also saying I don't know what would lead someone to do this. And I'm going to choose to take that I'm going to choose to do the mental labor of saying, well, I just don't know. I don't know what, I don't know. And, and also full transparency, like, you know, these people and, and I don't. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't know. I don't know how you learned that she planned on getting divorced. I don't know anything about their personality. I don't even know how long they were together before this mm -hmm. or what their issues are. Yep. But, um, the, the initial feeling I have is like, woo, that is juicy. And the second, <laughs> the second feeling I have is, well, I would hate to be in those shoes. Mm. I would hate to be on the cusp of my wedding and, and feeling like I, sh that I don't want to do it, you know, hundred percent or, or even like, oh my God, I'm going to go through with this, but then people are going to judge me for it. Like, I don't know. I just... That would be an 
a gross, it's a gross feeling to think of uh, in any spectrum of that thing. Agreed. And also at the same time, while we are trying to humanize and um, empathize with Jesse and James in these moments, right? That empathy doesn't mean that you don't have the right to be angry, right? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, she might have had really understandable reasons for why she did what she did. And she was probably in a really difficult spot. And also you can be mad that she made you look like an idiot in front of everyone because she knew that her marriage wasn't going to last more than 12 days. And you had to talk about how much, how great their relationship was, right? Like you can be mad that they went through the, with this wedding and you had to take time off and buy a gift and stand up in front of people and go through all of that emotional labor when they knew that it wasn't real. Right? Like you absolutely can be mad about that. And I think what has helped me learn how to practice more forgiveness is by saying to myself, I have the right to be mad about these things and I don't have to justify it to any person, right? Like Mm, this, yes, right? Like this anger that I'm feeling isn't erased by other people's trying to justify their actions. It's not erased by other people being in a tough spot, right? And making decisions that weren't great, but were, were maybe the best they could do in that moment, right? Like I get to still be mad about it And there's nothing about whether or not Jesse was in a hard situation that doesn't mean that she doesn't, didn't hurt you. Right. Like it had, that part of it has nothing to do with the fact that Mm -hmm. you got hurt in this situation and you have the right to be angry about it. You get to feel it. And I think sometimes the story we tell ourselves when we're really mad at someone, uh, is that they're telling us that we don't have the right to be angry. Right. Because they're trying to justify what they did or they're trying to explain what happens. But the reality is, is like it does. They don't get to tell us whether or not we get to be mad. Right. Like and they're and they're probably not. (laughs) You know, they're probably they're they're trying to do damage control or they're trying to like or they're trying to do whatever coping mechanism they're doing because they're in an unhealthy situation for themselves or others or whatever. Mm -hmm. But. I think I think you're totally right that we sort of assume that narrative of like, well, I guess it's like or that the fact that they're trying to tell you that has any bearing on the uh, fact that you get to be mad. right? Like, right. Exactly. They might think that you don't deserve to. Yeah. But like, Mm -hmm. no, no. And I think having like having that faith in my feelings and having that faith in the justifiableness of my feelings, faith in my feelings, right. Makes really into that. Right. Like makes me so much more willing to say like. Well, I know that I'm like, I know I'm right and I don't need to prove to you that I'm right. And so I'm going to say like, yeah, I'm really mad at this. And also I can understand what you're trying to say. I can also understand why this was a difficult situation for you to be in. And like, I forgive you for this thing because it, because my forgiveness only comes from me trying to heal my own wounds of anger, right? My forgiveness comes only from me trying to to make myself feel less angry with you as opposed to saying, as opposed to trying to justify like in this imaginary fight we're having that you're right. I don't have the right to be mad. Yeah. You touched on, you touched on something there that like is super profound to me. The, I like, especially connecting to our feeling our, our conversation about, anxiety earlier mm-hmm. um uh like to, to when you said what do you say trust my feelings mm-hmm. um like i think somebody who has chronic anxiety or 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 maybe worth or or abandon 
resentment issues or scarcity mindsets. Like it's very hard to trust our feelings Mm -hmm. because they have, they have led us astray a lot. And I think I'm navigating that in my life right now, in whatever iteration I'm in, in my mental wellness or my internal understanding of myself is that I'm at a point where I now can like navigate my emotional triggers or my, my, maybe my, my reactions that aren't necessarily what I truly feel, you know, my, my Mm -hmm. subconscious reactions, you know, I can, I can navigate that and I can stop myself from, you know, like if Willow does something that uh, bothers me, I can have a response that's true to my feelings and not just like lash out at her or whatever, mm-hmm. which is all to say, I think I'm in the stage now where I'm trying to trust my feelings because they are valid and true sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right. But navigating the dissonance between the two of those or navigating the I don't know the re- what's real and not real is, is hard mental labor um, that I guess I'm just proud of myself and our head and heart workers for doing because we're talking about some fucking crazy hard shit right there. Like, (laughs) like, um, you know, the idea that, well, sometimes my feelings, um, are coming from a place of pain and scarcity and fear, and they're trying to protect me and they're acting irrational, but also sometimes my feelings are valid. And if trying to parse through that, like that is fucking head and heart work. That's some hard shit right there. Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah okay i just wanted to like touch on that because you said that and i was like oh wow i love the idea of trusting my feelings and then inside my brain i was like i don't trust my feelings at all (laughs) (laughs) they have been historically wildly inaccurate you know yeah for sure and i i guess maybe less like trust every feeling that you have that comes into your body less like trust your reactions to things and more Mm, like trust your or like affirm the the legitimacy of affirm the affirm right, is a nice word of the things that you are feeling right like the, this practice that we sometimes do of like what is the story that I'm telling myself has been mm-hmm. like so helpful for me because it it helps me like in this moment I would be like so livid and be like I can't believe this person did this to me and I would be right. like okay, so what's the story that I'm telling myself? And the story that I would be telling myself is like, this person knew what they were doing and... Um, They're so selfish. Mm-hmm. And they... They cost me a vacation day and they, they and it's like, and they, they cost me money because I had to buy them a wedding present and they made me look like a fool because I gave this speech about how wonderful their love was when they knew that their love wasn't that wonderful, right? Like, and to say, to like go through that process and then sometimes it's not even like the story that I'm telling myself is a lie. It's like, nope that story that I'm telling myself is a real story, right? And have like Mm. having faith in that and saying like, because then you can go into the situation with either of these people and, and not come from a place of trying constantly to prove to the person that you are right or that you are justifiably the one that's been um, hurt. Right. Wow. And instead say like, no, I know that I've been hurt. I don't need to prove it to this person. And this person can either choose to acknowledge that hurt and apologize and work towards a resolution or they won't. But Mm. in either way, it doesn't affect the fact that I was hurt. Like I know that I was like, I have faith in this, this reality that I am living. Mm. And so it becomes so much easier to either forgive or to establish boundaries because you aren't trying to get that person to see, to see and affirm something in you. You have already seen and affirmed it in yourself. 
Right. Damn. Wow. is all around on that. <laughs> and also personal call it to myself like that is that is just an act of labor. I so rarely do of like, I know this is true and I know this is valid. I feel like I'm so willing <laughs> to do the head and heart work to be like, oh, well, blah, 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 you know, mm-hmm. um, and what you're talking about over there, as you were saying that, I was like, wow, that is just not a muscle that I work on ever is saying like, no, yes, this is, I'm totally, you know, that I'm always looking for the other narrative. I'm always looking for a hundred percent, you know, um, even when I'm, I'm like frustrated with my family member or whatever, I'm always thinking, well, what am I expecting out of them? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I always say with some difficult family members, I always say, well, I'm not, I'm expecting them to be someone that they're not. And so I always do that mental labor first before I say, no, that is wrong. And you hurt, you know, like, like, anyway, um, I think this is a great reminder of that balance is that there has to be a, a, we constantly have to be working on the balance between self accountability, like not let, you know, not letting yourself off the hook, mm-hmm. um, and self, um, advocacy yep. of, of like, this is real. My feelings are real. My my desires are real in this motion, moment. And my ability to do mental labor to better understand you doesn't lessen them. Mm-hmm. Yep. And honestly, like that, that practice is such, it's such emotional labor. Um, and, but it is, it's emotional labor that is, is freeing for you. And it's emotional labor that is very underappreciated in the people that you are interacting with. <laughs> Yeah, they're never going to know it. They're never going to know it. And I think that's what's like so frustrating about it is like, do you know? (laughs) But again, that is like... Willow (laughs) always says like, she always questions like how I get anything done because she's so so amazed that I'm always thinking about like 30 things at once because I am. I'm always thinking about not only what do we have to do for the podcast or what I have to make for dinner or work or paying bills, but I'm also thinking like, how can I best say something or, or like, how can I how can I better understand my sister or how can I like mm-hmm. um, be a better daughter to my father because he's not going to change who he is. And did it, you know, she calls me out on that a lot. <laughs> and maybe this is why I have a hard time sleeping. Who knows? <laughs> Let's move on. Um, <laughs> Which is like important. I think that that emotional labor of saying like, okay, what, what am I expecting of these people that they're not going to be able to give me is well, like step healing, one. Yes. But then step two is to say, is it acceptable that they're not able to give me that? Like, yeah, I'm going to just stop at step <laughs> yeah, one. Right? No, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> okay. Let's get back to drained about divorce. Um, uh, yeah. So do you think this person should, how do you think this person should move forward with Jesse and James? I think that, Cutting them out doesn't make you a shitty friend. First of all, let's just say that flat out, which was like, also, the big and there's question. nothing wrong. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with like just having some space. Mm-hmm. Like who knows? Maybe you will be, you'll be, ab- it's about sustainability in, in the long run. Maybe you will be able to be better friends in the future. For sure. Um, um but it also could be, you know, it's been a, a few months apparently since you've talked to them, but maybe it is like, um, time yeah saying to james i think particularly who has been your friend for the longest something like i just want you to know that like here are the ways in which i am feeling hurt about the situation 
This is not a condemnation of you or the, or I'm not trying to erase the difficult situation that you are in, but I'm just trying to say these things so that you see me because I want you to know, see and know me. Right. And just getting it out in the air. Um, and knowing in that conversation that the things that you are feeling and the hurt that you have had are hundred percent real and that nothing right. that James says to you about that hurt will undermine it. Right. He doesn't need to see it in order for it to be real as well. Um, but I think just so hard for me. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> right. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> um, but I think if, if you are interested in like continuing this relationship, being honest about that. Right. And I think, I think that there is still capacity for this relationship to go on. Right. I think that he's in a, he's been in a really hard place for the last month, year, whatever in, in being in this relationship that wasn't working and getting married and having to tell all these people. And like, he didn't handle it well, but like who could handle that situation? Well, I probably couldn't like, right. Totally. Honestly. And I think that you can have that conversation where you said, these are the ways that, that I'm feeling hurt about this. I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to see it. And they like, and I would love for you to acknowledge it because I think if we can do that, then we can go back to being in a really good relationship with each other with some of the boundaries that yeah. we've already established to to really move this relationship forward because I love you and I want to be friends with you and I don't want this thing that this awful shitty thing that happened to you to make our friendship not work. And I'll speak to Jesse too. I agree with everything you're saying. Um, a couple things. I wrote down the fact that you wrote at the beginning of your letter. I w- I am genuinely glad that I met her. Mm. Um, and that is, I just like pulled that out because you didn't need to say that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that this person like totally has their shit together in a way that's going to make them a good friend for you in your life right now. And I'm definitely not saying your anger is not, doesn't have a place in this relationship. It does. Um, actually, and I'm not even saying that you need to be friends with this person. Like maybe space is really good right now and Mm -hmm. then regroup in a year or whatever. But, um, there is a world in which you could, um, I guess this is all I want to say, you know, connecting to the tattoos, connecting to the fact that you said that, that she was a a good thing in your life once sort of connecting back to the, the, the first letter, the idea that the past doesn't have to, um, weigh on us. It can just be what it is and we can move forward with Mm -hmm. that. Um, that your tattoos are dope and somebody who is a complicated, messy human did them, <laughs> right? Yeah. And you just like, I'm covered in tattoos and I don't know the personal history and emotional baggage that mm. all those people had on um, or, or have, right? Like, I don't have the personal connection to them. And I get the idea that every time you look at a tattoo, you might have this personal association, but it can just be that. You can just say, you know what? Like that person is going through, not all journeys can be mine sort of thing. <laughs> um, and and at the end of the day, you can just be glad that you met them mm-hmm. once. Um, maybe there's room for more transparency and and accountability maybe in the future, but it, it just doesn't seem like they she can bring that to the table. Last thing, you're not stupid for saying that speech. You are a genuine and good friend. Oh, absolutely. Period. 100%. You didn't... Period. You're not stupid. Nobody thinks you look stupid. No. Everyone's probably like... What a nice speech. What a nice Period. speech that that person gave. 
too bad they these two people then went and ruined it <laughs> yeah even even more like i don't think they're connecting them they're yeah. not like oh my god so and so are getting a divorce but what about her speech mm-hmm. you know <laughs> right it's also like do um, people even remember wedding speeches i do because i am a very big sucker okay. um but like no <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I I just remember things that I liked in them. Um, Mm, But like, mm -hmm. no, I I don't remember speeches. I don't remember anything said at your wedding. (laughs) Sorry to our friends who gave speeches. (laughs) Do you? Uh, Yeah. Well, I mean, when it's about you, you tend to remember like more of it, I think. But like every other wedding I've been to, it's like, who's that person? Where's the champagne? How do they know you? Um, Like, oh, that's sweet. I'm not going to remember that in like 15 minutes though. Oh, I cry. I don't. I don't even have to know the person, and oh, I cry. Oh, hundred percent. I cry at weddings. Yeah, because I've been indoctrinated. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, um, <laughs> thanks for writing. Drained about divorce. Uh, we love you. We love you. Thank you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and six one since that matters, and. What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Our last letter is from Arwen of the Shire, who is writing to us from New Zealand. Hi, Sam and Sierra. Longtime listener. Absolutely adore your podcast. And it has helped me so much in my friendships and relationships. And I'd like to ask you for your sage advice. During the Rona lockdown, I reconnected with my ex after we'd been apart for a year. We separated out of the blue last year and kept in touch sporadically as our lives went in different directions across the globe, but maintained friendship and always had a loving connection between us. He called me in April to ask if we could be together again. And over the next few days, we talked about me moving to where he now lives in Canada and getting an apartment with him there and then traveling around the world to meet his family. He was talking about all the little things he missed about me, intimate and special uh, things like holding hands while we brushed our teeth, him cooking for me, laughing at our inside jokes and having an amazing soul connection. I was over the moon as it was the dream scenario scenario we all might imagine of the ex asking to get back together with us and that they really did love us all along. Over the next month, I managed to find a job over there. We started to look at apartments to rent online and make plans for me to fly out once the borders reopened. And it was on the fourth week after we reconnected that it all came crashing down around me. He began to avoid my calls, not texting me back and leaving me on read. And when we eventually spoke after a 10 day, no contact with him, but him still watching my Instagram stories, of course, he told me that I should want to go to Canada for myself and that he didn't want a relationship with anyone. (laughs) Oh, my God. The Canada. listeners couldn't see my huge eye roll, but 
I felt like I had been punched in the stomach. There was no way I could do this without him financially splitting the rent as I don't know anyone else there uh, in his city to move to a new city and start a fresh life to be with him was the whole point of me going over there. And since this conversation a month ago, he had completely disappeared and I was completely heartbroken all over again. I know the answer is to black, 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 but I'm having extreme difficulty in doing so in case he comes back again and it'll go back to the fairy tale I dreamt of and that he falsely promised me. He actually verbally promised. I can't believe or understand why he's done this to me. Can you please, please give me some advice on how to scrape my self-esteem off the floor and begin to feel good about myself again? I feel like I've lost myself completely and that this connection with him was my last chance at a happy life again. The last time I was truly happy was when we were, we were together two years ago, and I haven't been able to fill the void since. I've also lost my job and apartment in the city because of the COVID situation, and I'm living back with my parents as a 35-year-old woman. It's humiliating, and I can't see my way out. I now live in a very remote part of the country, and there is literally no men or potential distractions such as a gym, pub, or social scene to get back on the saddle for miles around me. I've exhausted Google to try and find a way to feel better, but I'm at a loss at where to start. Any advice you can offer would be truly great. All my love from the Shire. Oh, my God. I love you. That's right. So much. I mean, you started with the Lord of the Rings reference, which I gets know. me what every time. Doing? Every time. <laughs> Do you want to like exchange last names now or what? <laughs> um, okay. Let's break it down. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I want to like just uh, yell about the situation, about the fairy tale, like bait and switch sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um but the end of the letter was so touching and tender and vulnerable that I like, I have to like tap into my anger again because right now I'm just feeling compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I can start by just saying like, you're not a failure and it's not too late. And that wasn't your last chance at love mm-hmm. just because life gave you a situation like a pandemic that you never asked for. No, no part of you asked for this was prepared for this could see this coming and so it is, it's not your fault, nor is it a failure or a step backwards that you did what you had to do to survive, which is moving with your parents. That's, that might feel like a step backwards, but it, it was the only step. So therefore, there's no connotation to the direction that it took. Um, and it's also... <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's also just the delusion of capitalism that yes. like <laughs> that not seeing a certain level of financial success by a certain age is somehow a humiliating failure, right? No, like being able to have a family that, that you are able to go back to and reconnect with during this time is a great thing. Like that's an asset. That's a valuable thing. But the wonderful thing that is capitalism has taught us that moving back in with our parents is horrifying and humiliating and we should be so ashamed of it. Yes. And I just like want to recognize that that is real, like that that feeling is 100% real, but that the the delusion, it's a delusion because capitalism has taught it to us, right? Yes. You, like you said about weddings, you've been indoctrinated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've been indoctrinated to cry at weddings and to think moving back into your bad parents about your m- yes, totally. <laughs> is a humiliating thing. Yeah. Um, uh, I also want to say... Um, like, fuck this guy. Um, everybody's on a journey, obviously. Um, 
but you know, and, and you know what, to all of our wonderful listeners, like we all do this stuff. <laughs> like we all seek, you know, this is what this guy was doing. And granted, I know absolutely nothing about him. Coronavirus hits. You're feeling lonely and you're feeling anxious and you go seek out comfort because at the end of the day, he does have love for you, Arwen. Like he does have love for you, right? And the coronavirus hits and the world is upside down and we seek comfort because we feel greatly disconnected from people and from our usual like patterns or whatever mm -hmm. um, or, or schedules. We don't have the same routine with the coworkers or the gym or whatever to distract us. Mm -hmm. And this isn't, I'm not saying that he sought you out just for sheer comfort um, because I do believe that he has genuine feelings for you, but those feelings are not enough to sustain a healthy, respectful relationship as he's proven. Um, and that I think he reached out to you because he wanted to feel your love in return. Mm -hmm. And that at the end of the day, I, I connect, I relate to that shitty behavior, mm -hmm. right? I have done that. I have, I have called out into the darkness of my past, into the abyss of my past to feel better before. Right. For sure. And I think, you know, when we talk about like, don't text your ex during quarantine, it's, I think that people assume it's because like, oh, cause your ex is going to treat you like shit. But the, the other side of it is don't reach out to your ex during quarantine because you don't want to be the asshole who reached you're out during treat them like shit. who reached out and oh then God, can't actually commit real. to it. Right. Like we all have the capability to be hurt and hurt other people. Right. Yeah. And especially in times of like this, when like everything around us is so unmoored and everything feels like it's so outside of our control, like reaching out to people and trying to rekindle connections like this can lead to us doing it because we want to uh, to find a sense of stability and security. And then suddenly your ex is coming to Canada with you and you don't know how you got here. And then you have to crush their dreams, like crush their <laughs> dreams. So like, um, just don't text your ex people. This is what we're talking about. <laughs> I love that turnaround because you're right. Everybody's like, and even our podcast, I think most people are like, oh, it's about like empowering you so that like assholes don't um, hurt you. But it just a reminder, y'all, like we are all capable of being assholes and hurting people, other people. And that's what head and heart work is about too, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just about putting up your boundaries so that like people can't hurt you. It's that, so that you can't other hurt other people right. or that, or that you move through life with less collateral damage <laughs> because of your very confused and stubborn heart, which we all have. Um, talking to myself, by the way, calling yeah, myself no, me out. Yeah, me too. Like, hard. I have been the asshole that has texted someone oh, and been like, God. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not an asshole anymore. Like, <laughs> I mean, I still am, but in different ways. Well, we ways. all are. That, maybe that'll be my quote on Instagram. You know, like, we're all assholes. <laughs> Namaste. Um, <laughs> episode title. Um, but I... What I mean is I'm glad that I have, that I'm more connected to my compassion, my empathy, my understanding of the impact of my actions, right? Mm -hmm. Before mm -hmm. it was like act, act, act so that I could feel satiated and comforted or valid or desired. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, oh, you want to feel desired, but you're going to crush a little heart in the meantime, like not worth it. Right. Um, or better yet, why don't I desire myself? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Why am I seeking out things I need externally yeah, when I yeah, have everything yeah, yeah, yeah. I need internally? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Okay, so Arwen, my darling, I'm here now to big you up and to remind you that you absolutely should black, black, black. And here's why. It breaks my fucking heart, my darling, to hear you say, um, I want, I'm, you're having difficulty blacking him because in case of the small possibility that he comes back again and it could be this fairy tale all over again. I want you to know, I want you to, I want you to look in the mirror and say the fairy tale includes this. The fairy tale includes this pain. The mm. thing that I'm like, you can't, you can't pick and choose or cherry pick the joy out of this experience with this man, right? Mm. It, it's a whole package. The fairy tale includes this painful and terrifying and lonely dragon that he forces you to live with by yourself, right? And so if you're saying, I want him to come back, you're saying, I want to relive this terrible pain. Like, I, I, I'm in, I, I, not only do I want this, but I, I'm going to leave myself open so that he can do this to me again. And I know, I know my love, like how hard this is. But at the end of the day, we have to say, I deserve to feel better by myself than shitty with someone who treats me so poorly. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's that's absolutely real. Um, and I appreciate that, like the fairy tale includes this, right? <laughs> like there is no fairy tale without the fact that he did this to you. Um, and I think so, like one of the things that you ask yourself about, like, how do you scrape up your self-esteem from off the floor? Ugh. Which is just hard. Like, I know. I wish I could say, like, read this affirmation or, like, look in the mirror and, <laughs> hey, like, that's tell, what I said. <laughs> tell yourself you're pretty. But, like, shit is just really hard right now. It absolutely yeah. is. All of the things that you're saying about, like, you don't have a social scene to go hang out with. Like, you can't go, you can't go to the pub, can't go to the gym. Like, yes, absolutely. You are 100% right. Like, all of those things are not available to us. And all of those things are things that we do to, give ourselves energy and to, to make ourselves feel better and to put ourselves out there and get out of our head a little bit. Um, and it's just really hard. Like, I just want to, to see you and affirm that like, yeah, this is shitty. Like, this is a shitty time to get dumped. This is a shitty time to have your heart broken again. It's, like, it's a shitty time to be like ghosted internationally. <laughs> like, yeah. and not just go like, what is it? Like what version of ghosting is it where you're like looking at apartments? That's it. And mm. Mm -mm. yeah, mm -mm. yeah, that's mm -mm. like a full on. You should want to move to Canada for yourself. I know what a line. Just what like, a line. Okay, excuse me. <laughs> like what did you what thought I was load. just like? Yeah, Canada's the place I want to be. Like no offense to Canada, you're great, but it's I actually not like... <laughs> love Canada. But yes. <laughs> But it's not like, hey, I'm going to move from New Zealand to Canada just because, like, Canada is such a, a wonderful place to well, be. Well, I just think, I mean, like, we joke. Okay, I'm back in my rage now. I can, <laughs> I can get there. This is, the th this is the thing. Like, we talk about the things folks will say to avoid saying, I've changed my mind or I don't feel the same way. And the, it's just like the metaphor of the, the actual physical action of moving to Canada for yourself. It's like I, the, the normal version of that would be like, Oh, well you should want to play basketball for yourself. You shouldn't just play basketball to like spend time with me. You know, like mm -hmm. it's a, that would be like a 
thing that someone would say in a relationship to avoid intimacy or, or to avoid saying, I want to play basketball by myself, you know? <laughs> but this, this man is literally also, you, saying... First of all, if you want to say, if you want to play basketball by yourself, just say that. Don't say like, right. you should want to play basketball for yourself. No. Well, do you know what I mean? Do you know what I'm trying to reference? Like the yeah. idea, the, the things we I don't say... Want you to, I don't want to have to you avoid. wash the dishes. I want you to want to wash the dishes. There we go. Good. Okay. I couldn't think... My basketball example is terrible, but that's exactly what it is. It's like, you should want to do it for yourself. It's like, but in this situation, he, he's literally saying, you should want to change your entire life for me, for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. I we're not love la- that. Yes. Arwen, we love you. We're not laughing at your pain. We are laughing at the pain of the universe because that too is abundant. Um, so anyway, Sam, you were just doing a really good job of like, you know, acknowledging Arwen um, and what they're going through right now and, and how painful it is. And, and I'd like to reroute back to that. Yeah. Like I was saying, all of this is really sh- shitty. Like this whole situation is just really, really difficult. Um, and challenging. Yeah. And I don't want to, I don't want to be one of those like self-help people that's like, ooh, just like will it into being like, ooh, you're your own problem, right? Like, no, the circumstances that we're in are really, really difficult. And I don't want to, I don't want to make light of those or like pretend like it's not. Um, Right. Totally. And like, that makes it all the more difficult to do that head and heart work that we are always talking about, but it doesn't mean that we can't in these moments. And just because this person lured you into this idea by calling you and then dumping you, doesn't mean that you are any less lovable. It doesn't mean that you are any less dateable. Like and it, you're not stupid or gullible either. Because, no. um, because he didn't like, he didn't like intentionally lure and manipulate you. Although, I mean, like who knows he might've, but like you didn't fall for anything. You were present and vulnerable and emotional and you were all good things. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is that like, there are people out there who are going to value that and they're going to, protect it and they are going to give it the respect and honor that it deserves. Um, and I know that it's really hard to, to know that in a time, especially cause we can't, we can't really meet new people, right? Like we can't mm. go out and dating online is hard enough. It's hard to do it over FaceTime as well. <laughs> like it's really, really challenging, but know that there are people out there in the world that will, that will be less work than this person was. Mm-hmm. And that even if you don't find that person, it does not mean that you are not lovable. It doesn't make you any less dateable. It doesn't make you any less whole. Um, And you are doing the best that you can right now. And you are doing a great job at it, right? Like you Mm. are, I know that it feels like losing your job and your apartment and all of that, like that all really, really sucks. And also doing that is exactly the right thing to do. And it is a, an affirmation of um, how much you actually have in your life right now, that you're able to go back to those resources, that you're able to go back and reconnect with your parents, that you're able to find stability in this crazy time. Um, Wow. I I, want to pull out something you said, because I think it's so profound that, that even in times in which you are failing, uh, quote unquote, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Even in times that you, that you, I meant to say that you feel as though you are failing, like, Mm -hmm. Um, just been dumped, living with your parents, um, you know, feeling, even feeling sad that you are 
that you are succeeding, that you are doing the best that you can. Mm-hmm. And if we can stop, it's, it's about like turning on some extreme self-compassion and, and to think like, wow, I'm doing the best that I can right now. And, and that best doesn't, that best looks different from day to day, but right now I'm dealing with so much. And even though like maybe I stay up late watching Netflix and I sleep in all day and I'm not connecting with anybody and I'm living with my parents and I'm feeling so stupid over this breakup and yada, yada. But even with all of that, even with all those quote unquote failures or things that maybe aren't to the par that you're used to on your daily activity, mm. you're doing the best that you can. You're doing good. Did you know that? Did you know that you're doing good right now? Yep. Um, and that you're, that you're, that you're surviving and that you're doing the best that you can. And Sam and I see you, you're doing a good job because you're getting from day to day. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes in the self-help world, we forget that like, sometimes the struggle does look like a struggle, but that doesn't make <laughs> it any less celebratory. For sure. You know, sometimes like self-help and self-improvement doesn't always look like, oh my God, I'm just doing like this awesome, like self-improvement yoga and bubble bath. And, um, and like, I'm just like, this is just like, I'm struggling right now, but I'm like really working through it. No, sometimes it's like, fucking dirty and hard and painful and and you feel like you are failing because you're not at the same functioning level or or you're not feeling as good as you are before but at in reality doing good because you're getting to the next day which will get you to the next day which will get you to um, new opportunities which will get you to a new job which will get you to a new relationship like it's about getting through the day in whatever way Mm. works for you now. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that. And I think, and so let's, so let's acknowledge that and say like right now, success is getting through the day. Right. Yes. And also I think for me in times like these, when, when success literally is just getting to the next day, the next step for me is making one promise to myself per day and acting on that promise. Mm. So that promise can be, I'm going to, I'm going to move my body in some way today. Right. Mm-hmm. doesn't have to be like, I'm going to run a marathon. Right. But instead just saying like, I'm going to move my body in some way today. And then keeping that promise. Right. Like that for me is how I have been able to build up self-esteem or like hope for the future. I think in times right. when it feels like everything is hopeless and that I'm a horrible failing person is to say, my only job is to get to tomorrow. And in addition to that, like six, like stretch goal for me is also to move my body in some way, or my stretch goal for today is to, um, is to text someone that I haven't talked to in a while, or Mm. my stretch goal for today is getting out of the house and going to the grocery store and like getting good food for me to make so that I'm not just ordering food every day. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. and I think once there's something so affirming in making and keeping those goals for ourselves and practicing grace uh, for ourselves when we don't meet those goals yes. that begins to help us get out of su- surviving, right? Gets yes. To get out of surviving and into something that might be a little like a step above. I'm not going to say thriving because I don't think like the only people who are thriving right now are the fucking billionaires who just increased their net worth like by 70 million percent. We are like, like the surviving, like, I don't want you to get to thriving at this moment, but how can you get to surviving plus, right? How can you get to surviving and also maybe moving towards something that is going to make us feel better? Um, 
but it's also like, it's hard. Like that's, that's how it helps me. That's how it's been working for me. And also just want to recognize that like, it's hard to sometimes even make those, those tiny goals to myself. Like this, this time I think is just rocked our world so much. And, um, and brought us into or brought up so many things that we thought that we had worked through that we now have yes. to work through again. <laughs> but that's yes. recovery is not linear. Mental health is not linear. We're all learning as we go and just trying to use the tools that we have. So Arwen, you are, you are succeeding. You are not failing in any way. You are succeeding in keeping yourself alive and <laughs> keeping yourself safe and keeping yourself healthy and you also have the capacity in you to do that, plus maybe one thing more, one extra thing yes. that you can commit to yourself that's going to move you towards something beyond just surviving. Yes, I totally agree. You wrapped it up perfectly. Um, Arun, we love you so much. Uh, we see you in this pain, and we know we're going to see you through it, too. Absolutely. We love you. Thank you for writing. So this brings us to the blind date segment of our show. Every episode, we want to shout out something we think is awesome to set you up with. This week, we're sending you home with a book called The Future Earth, A Radical Vision for What's Possible in the Age of Warming by Eric oh Holthouse. Yes. <laughs> um, Let's bring some climate change up in this shit. Yeah, right. Uh, so Eric is actually a friend of mine, which is why I'm recommending this book that I have not read, but I trust that he did a great <laughs> job. Uh, because it came out very recently, so I haven't had the chance to read it yet. Um, but what I love about this book is it is about climate change. Um, but basically, Eric, um, who is himself a meteorologist, but is also a journalist, um, interviewed a lot of climate scientists about the recommendations that they are making towards um, around global warming and what the Earth could look like if we did those things. Mm. And what I love about it is that it's not like, oh... Um, if we don't do anything, then New York city is going to be underwater in 15 years. Right. Instead, it's like, if we do the things that we that we're saying here is what possibilities and hope could exist in the world. If we were able to act on them, mm -hmm. um, because it imagines a world where we have cut carbon emissions or we have, um, done all of the things that we need to do and looks at like, how awesome would it be if we actually enacted the green new deal? Think about how many people would be working. Think about like how our economy would be thriving because of it. And we would have combated so many parts of global of, of global warming that would keep ourselves safe. Um, and I just love the hope of that idea. Um, and I love the idea that we are focusing on what do we want to see in the world rather than trying to avoid what we don't want to see. Um, and I just think that that is something that has been missing a lot from the climate change conversation. Um, and so I'm so thankful for Eric um, and the work that he does and just his uh, ability to really think positively and with hope when so many of the things that we're facing right now are so dire. So mm. check that out. It is available wherever books are sold. It is called... Um, the Future Earth, A Radical Vision for What's Possible in the Age of Warming. Awesome. All right, everyone, that wraps up our episode. And actually, I <laughs> didn't tell Sierra I was going to do this, but I just wanted to say that my longtime therapist, Kate, um, passed away last week. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yes, um, it was very unexpected. Um, and so I just want to... Um, 
say in honor of Kate that this podcast would not have been possible without her. Oh, um, Sam. That the the reason why I am here, <laughs> like here on this earth, period, and also here doing this podcast is because of the love and care and the tools that she was able to teach me. Um, and I am so saddened at her loss and I am feeling a little bit unmoored because of it. And like, <laughs> who do you talk to when your therapist died? Um, mm. And so, but I just, I wanted to do something that would um, honor her and would be able to do, to be a little bit of something to show gratitude for how much she has meant for me and for all of her clients. So um, this episode is dedicated to uh, Kate Heffelfinger, who was my therapist. Um, And I am wishing her peace and I am wishing her family and her loved ones all the love and and care in the world. Oh, Sam, that is very beautiful. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, everyone, that wraps up our episode. You can uh, like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship memes. But most importantly, you can send us your questions about all matters of the heart at JustBreakUpPod.com, which is also where you can find tickets to our upcoming live show this Saturday on July 18th. Please remember to leave us a five-star rating and review, and please consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you will get an additional bonus weekly episode. That's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. Both of these things help literally keep the mics on, and they help us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving us giving them relationship advice. Original music, recording, editing, and producing by our good friend Big Cats. Make sure to check out his podcast, The What If Podcast. And remember, every day you are working to see abundance where your subconscious mind would normally see nothing, see scarcity, see harm. It takes real mental labor to rewire your thinking in this way. But we can be grateful for both outlooks, both abundance and fear-based scarcity, because life is rich in contradictions both highs and lows, fear and hope, struggles and triumphs, limits and limitlessness. And if all else fails, just break up. <laughs>